Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show. I'm Anthony T. In this edition, I will be talking about AEW's Double or Nothing, which took place back in May. I'll give you my thoughts on that pay-per-view, the good and the bad of what happened during AEW's Double or Nothing 2023 pay-per-view. Then in What's Anthony T Watching, I was going to review a theatrical film, but... I have to get to this film, seriously, because it's Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. When that happens, I have to drop everything to review this film. Yes, I'm talking about Renfield, as I did not see this film in theaters, but it recently came out on Blu-ray, so I picked up the Blu-ray and decided, you know what, I'm going to review this film. For the podcast. Because it's Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. Plus, I like vampire films anyway, so. But first, the news. Now, I don't know where to start. Because there's two news stories that really irked me between episodes. There's one from a director in which I thought gave up filmmaking. As his latest film, I thought disappeared from the face of the earth. I could go there to start off. Or I could go on the fact that after I did a rant on why I don't like mockbusters, I got one of the most absurd mockbusters coming soon to a Blu-ray and DVD near you. So I don't know where to start. I'm thinking, you know what, I'm going to start off with a film that I thought disappeared because I have not talked about this guy in quite a while. In fact, file this under Rockstars Directing. Probably the most notorious Rockstar director of them all is back in my horror news. Yes, I am talking about Glenn Danzig. Yeah. The same Glenn Danzig whose last film, Erotica, earned a half a star. It is like the only film that I've given a half a star to. I thought I was rid of this guy. Seriously. After the fact that his latest film, Death Rider in the House of Vampires, disappeared from the face of this Earth. And I say that literally because this film was released in theaters in limited release back in August of 2021. That's right. This film was in theaters in 2021. And yet, this film is not a Blu-ray or DVD yet. Seriously. I literally thought I would never see this film on Blu-ray or DVD. Because I've just given up on that film. Because they never made this film available on VOD. And that was a major problem with its release strategy. Nowadays, with these limited release films, you kind of have to release them on VOD as well. This film never even got a VOD release. Instead, Death Rider in the House of Vampires was in distribution hell. How can you get into distribution hell if you 
had a theatrical release. Seriously. That means you hooked up a really bad distributor. That's it. You can't hook up with these distributors who have no intention or no release plan. As the film was released by Atlas Distribution. How they couldn't get this film on DVD and Blu-ray by now is beyond me. Seriously. As this film should have been on Blu-ray and DVD by now. Instead, this film is lost. So, guess what happened? This film popped up recently at the Cannes Film Festival. In the marketplace. Usually where they take films to a marketplace to get distribution and all that stuff. That's, a lot of independent films do that. They go to cons to get distribution. Finally, this film went to cons. Why it took so long is beyond me. Seriously. It's been almost two years since its theatrical release. So, I don't understand why the hell that this film finally popped up out of nowhere. As it disappeared from the face of the earth. That's not a good sign for a film. If it's not out on Blu-ray within a year of its release date for an independent film, a high-profiled film such as Glenn Danzig's Death Rider in the House of Vampires, that film should be on Blu-ray and DVD by now, and VOD by now, at least. But no, I don't know why it almost took them two years to shop this film at the Cons Film Festival. Because apparently nobody is buying this film here in the United States. Or else this film would have been out by now. As there would have been a trickle down effect to other territories. That's not a good sign for Glenn Danzig's latest film. If they had to go to cons to try to sell this film to distributors. Because the fact that they A. waited so long... And B, had to go to cons into that marketplace. If you ever want to see what that marketplace looks like, kind of, watch the documentary Clapboard Jungle. Because this is what it feels like, what's going on with Death Rider in the House of Vampires. It feels like an independent film, literally. The fact that it couldn't get a distribution deal in the United States is pitiful. It was pitiful that that film had to go to the Cannes Film Festival marketplace to secure distribution. Because I guess Glenn Danzig's name doesn't lend any staying power these days. Seriously. Spider-One can get distribution easily. Hell, his latest film buried the brights on Tubi already. That's after his last film, Allegoria, ended up on Shudder. It just amazes me that Glenn Danzig cannot get distribution for this film. It just is. Seriously. And it's probably a telltale sign that this film is probably not going to be a good film. But I will watch it because, well, I'm a sucker for vampire films. And this is kind of a film that for better or worse, needs to be seen and reviewed for this podcast. Because you will get a review of this film, no doubt about it, if scenes or butts, whenever this film decides to ever want to come out on DVD, Blu-ray, or VOD. Because I'm just a sucker for vampire films. And the fact it's Glenn Danzig, 
one of the most talked about topics on the podcast. Of course, this film is getting reviewed. Now, can we hurry up with the distribution? Because it seems like it may take another three, four years before we see this film here in the United States. Seriously. It's just pitiful. Pitiful, pitiful that this film is not out on home media yet. Given the fact that Glenn Danzig has somewhat of a name value. Pitiful. It is. And the fact that it has some genre names in it, too. Like Devin Sawa, Julian Sands, Kim Director, Danny Treos, Eli Roth. Genre names. And this film has not gotten distribution yet. I can't figure that out. Seriously. I just don't get Glenn Danzig. Everything has to be so spectacular that it's a failure. Seriously. This is a failure. That this film is not on Blu-ray, DVD, or VOD yet. It is. It's pitiful and a failure. No ifs, ands, or buts. With those names in this film, this film should have been out on home media by now. But it isn't. We're still waiting for it on home media. And we're going to keep waiting for it. Apparently. Moving on. Now, last episode, I told you I am sick of these mockbusters. I am sick of these Amityville mockbusters. I'm sick of these Cocaine Bear mockbusters. So what happens? I get news that there's another Cocaine Bear mockbuster coming very soon. It's a film called Cocaine Crabs from Outer Space. WTF. Seriously. You gotta be kidding me. Another Cocaine Bear ripoff. Why do we need these films? Seriously, people. These indie filmmakers, stop doing these films for a quick buck. There's no creativity in these films. Seriously. You keep going to these Amityville films. You keep now going to these Cocaine Bear ripoffs. What's next? We're going to rip off next. Seriously. Smile? I'm surprised that hasn't been ripped off yet. A Quiet Place? I'm surprised that hasn't been ripped off yet. I don't get it. Seriously. I will give you the insane plot synopsis for this film. This is coming from the SRS Cinema Store website. When a couple of intergalactic space crabs land on Earth... They encountered the one thing they didn't expect. A duo of dumb frat boys fuss feeding them cocaine. As it turns out, cocaine gives space crabs an overbearing impulse to kill. Their string of peculiar homicides has Detective Charlie Reese thinking that something smells fishy, literally. But when he explains it to his captain that crabs may be causing the grisly murders, he is quickly dismissed. Trying to back up his theory, Detective Reese seeks the help of a sea life expert. But the local help he can find is a pet store employee named Alex Bailey. Convinced that the detective may be on to something... The two of them find themselves teaming up in the deadly wake of the coked out crabs. Are you bleeping kidding me? Seriously? 
Is this the plot synopsis for your film? It's just so out there, so crazy, so stupid. Seriously. I don't need any more Cocaine Bear ripoffs. I've seen Cocaine Bear once is enough, not 10 million times. I'm waiting for them to fuse both the Amityville films and the Cocaine Bear mockbusters into one movie. You know that's going to happen soon. Some sort of film like Amityville Cocaine House, where the house is on cocaine, literally. It's stupid. It's just so bleeping stupid, people. Original ideas, please. I don't want to see these stupid mockbusters or even hear about these stupid mockbusters. The fact I'm giving this film the time of day on this podcast is a detriment to my productivity. But I am sick and tired of these cocaine beer mockbusters. Please, come with something original, people. Don't go for the quick cash. It's not worth it. Your film is not going to be seen by many people. Trust me. It's just going to be stuck in the indies. That's it. You have that niche market. That's it. You don't create a buzz or anything with these mockbusters. Unless you're the asylum. That's it. I don't get these indie filmmakers thinking that these mockbusters are going to give them lots of cash. For their studios. I just don't get it. Because the only thing it does. Is it really makes them look stupid. Seriously. People can make good films. And get the attention you want. But I'm sick and tired of. Some of these studios. That just do it for the cash. After a while. Nobody's going to watch these films. Except this niche market. I just want original content, people. Not hearing about stupid films that a five-year-old can make. Because that's what the plot synopsis sounds like. A plot synopsis that a five-year-old came up with. I'd spend more time here, but it's better off not giving this film any more attention. And with that, that's the news. Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast here, the discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the film, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. If you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. Speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers are smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> Exactly. www.darkdiscussions.com 
wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back. AEW recently had its 2023 Double or Nothing pay-per-view on May 28th in Las Vegas, Nevada. And this was, for the most part, a good pay-per-view. I wouldn't say it's one of their greatest pay-per-views, but it was a good pay-per-view. The pay-per-view started off on the pre-show with the Hotties and Hook beating the Gun Club and Ethan Page. I don't think we need to get into that match since it's a pre-show match. Plus, it wasn't that great of an opener. The pay-per-view kicked off with the 21-man Blackjack Battle Royal. For Orange Cassidy's AEW International Championship. It's kind of weird that a person is defending their title in a battle royal. But then again, this is Orange Cassidy. Whatever. It just goes along with his gimmick. And the current storyline that Orange Cassidy's in where he's pretty much taking on all comers every week. Now he's taking on 20 men at the same time for the AEW International Championship. This was a good match and a good opener to the pay-per-view. It had some very cool spots, including Colemander doing his high rope walk spot onto people, which is one of his trademark moves. I like this guy, really. I like... The luchadors that AEW is bringing in. Commander's one of them. Definitely. This had a, a more of a standard battle royal type feel to it. As everybody was like in the area of the ring. With the exception of Swerve, Strickland, and Brian Cage. As for most of this match, Swerve, Strickland spent the match standing on the entrance ramp. It's actually a smart strategy when you think about it. You're in a battle royal, and you're not being forced to get in there right away, so you might as well just hang around the entrance ramp. That's a really good way to keep you in this match without getting eliminated, or the threat of elimination. There's a lot of really good action. You had some feuds that were highlighted in this match, like Swerve, Strickland, Keith Lee... Ricky Stocks and Bullet Club Black and Gold. The match would come down to the Final Four, which would include the international champion Orange Cassidy, Penta El Zero Miro, Big Bill, and Swerve Strickland. Yes, the same wrestler that spent half a match on the entrance ramp. It's a good strategy. If you're in a battle royal and it's not one of those lottery battle royals, you can literally just stand at the entrance ramp. Penta El Zero Mero would try to chop and kick Big Bill to no avail. This led Big Bill to literally clothesline Penta over the top rope to eliminate him. Then Big Bill and Swerve Strickland would gang up on Orange Cassidy. To the point where they fought over who would eliminate Orange Cassidy. Big Bill would try to eliminate him only for Swerve Strickland 
to turn on him and push Big Bill over the top rope, which left Swerve Strickland and Orange Cassie as the final two people in the match. Both of the men were fighting in the ring. At one point, Swerve hits the Swerve Stop and then puts Orange Cassidy's hands in his pocket. He tries to eliminate him that way, but Orange Cassidy hits a DDT to stay in. Both of them would eventually go over the top rope, fighting on the apron. This also included Prince Nana trying to interfere to no avail. This led Swerve to try to hit the Swerve stop again on the apron. But Orange Cassidy gets his feet up. Then he gets up and kicks Swerve's hand that was holding on to the rope to make him fall and eliminate him to retain the AEW International title. I was kind of surprised that Orange Cassidy won this match. I really thought we were going to get a new champion here. Swerve Strickland would have been a good choice if he won the match. I would have had no problem with it. Seriously. The way they were building this match up, he was literally probably going to be one of the final four the way he was standing on the entrance ramp for most of this match. Literally. In a typical heel move. That was a good start to this pay-per-view. Then we get Chris Jericho versus Adam Cole in an unsanctioned match with Sabu as the guest enforcer. Jericho comes out with the Jericho Appreciation Society. Cole comes out with Roderick Strong and Sabu. This match started in chaos with all eight of them brawling. At one point, Sabu and Jericho had a dueling chair fight. Sabu got to do his trademark cable spot. Finally got down to a one-on-one match as... Strong and Sabu sent the JAS to the back. At one point, Jericho gets the walls of Jericho on Cole. He goes to the ropes, but there are no rope breaks in an unsanctioned match. So he finds a fire extinguisher and uses it to break the hold. This match also had tables, chairs, ladders. Britt Baker would also get involved in this match as she would come down to the ring with a kendo stick to hit Jericho. Soraya would come down also to be attacked by Britt Baker. After that chaos, Cole nailed a backstabber with a kendo stick across the throat. Jericho would regain the advantage and throw a chair at Cole as he went to the top rope, sending him crashing through a table. Jericho would then grab handcuffs and handcuff one of Cole's hands, but Cole would hit a DDT on the chain. Then he would handcuff Jericho to the other cuff. Adam Cole would hit the boom not once, but twice. Then he would continuously beat Jericho down with the chain until the ref had to stop this match with Adam Cole the winner. It was a good match. I don't know if I say it was a great match. I don't feel like you needed to have a stoppage finish here. Especially when it's supposed to be an unsanctioned match. Plus it got too chaotic at times. I thought once was enough at the beginning. I don't know why we needed another round of shenanigans. As there were a lot of shenanigans on this pay-per-view. And I have to admit... It kind of got overkill at times. 
as the next match would have tons of shenanigans. In a good way, though. Because it would be FTR versus Jared and Lethal for the AEW Tag Team titles. FTR is very over in this match. There's good back and forth tag team action. This felt like an old school tag match at times with a lot of technical wrestling. All four worked well together as the action was non-stop. At one point, Dax would pin Jay Lethal and Sanjay Dutt would put Lethal's foot on the rope. FTR would hit the Doomsday Powerbomb on Lethal for a two count after Dutt interfered and broke up the pin. This is where it turned into total non-stop shenanigans. Mock would eject Sanjay Dutt and Satham Singh. This would lead to, to Jeff Jarrett getting a guitar, trying to hit Dax Hardwood, but he moves out of the way and hits Mock Briscoe with the guitar. FTI hits Shatter Machine on Jay Lethal. Referee Audrey Edwards tr would try to get into the ring, but was kept getting blocked by Sanjay Dutt. Leading Karen Jared to smash a guitar on Audrey Edwards. Lethal would hit the lethal ejection on Hardwood. Jeff Jared would hit Dax Hardwood with the title belt and the stroke for a two count. Jeff would complain to Mark Briscoe and slapped Mark. Mark would slap Jeff back. Leading FTR to hit Shatter Machine on Jared for the three count. And FTR retained the AEW Tag Team titles. Next in a interview. Ricky Stocks was supposed to be interviewed by Alex Marvez. Until Bullet Club Black and Gold of Jay White and Juice Robinson attacked him. For obviously eliminating them in the Battle Royal. This led FTR, who was coming back from the tag team match, to chase White and Robinson away. Wonder if the next tag team feud for FTR will be Jay White and Juice Robinson. That'll be an interesting match. We get a hype video for Christian versus Wardlow. Then we get a backstage promo with Chris Jericho and Soraya, as they were angry about how... The Chris Jericho-Adam Cole match went, and they demand a match against Adam Cole and Britt Baker. When a backstage attendant confronted the two, Soraya got in the face of the attendant, which led Jericho to throw a fireball at the attendant. Yes, Chris Jericho is still throwing fireballs, ladies and gentlemen. Then we finally get Wardlow versus Christian Cage. This was a good ladder match. I enjoyed this ladder match a lot. It was a fun match. Started out slow, but really picked up quickly here. As Wardlow would get Christian in a helicopter spin position, making him land on the ladder. This was the lead to Luchasaurus coming to ringside. Wardlow would powerbomb Christian onto the ladder, then tried to do a senton bomb, but Christian got out of the way. On Anderson would come to ringside later. As Christian was starting to climb the ladder, Wardlow would get to the top rope and jump onto the ladder, and the ladder collapses, as we all thought maybe Wardlow got injured again. 
Luchasaurus would come in and choke slam Wardlow twice. On Anderson would come in and Luchasaurus would try to choke slam him, but on Anderson bites his finger. Anderson and Wardlow would set Luchasaurus up on a table and Wardlow climbed a huge ladder and hit a Sentai bomb sending Luchasaurus through the table. In one of the highlights of that match, Christian would make his way to the ring and try to climb the ladder as all this is happening. Until Arn Anderson pushes Christian off the ladder and into the arms of Wardlow. He hits a powerbomb and he then climbs the ladder to get the TNT title and retain the title in a good ladder match. As it had some very good spots, it showcased Wardlow's agility. He can go. Wardlow can go. I always think Wardlow is like Mike Awesome. One of those big guys that can fly. He's very underrated. I know he lost a lot of momentum with an injury. And the fact that he didn't have a great TNT title run the last time. But this pairing with Arn Anderson so far has been good. I have to admit. Maybe that's what Wardlow needs to get to the next level. Someone who can talk for him. As he's got the talent in the ring to be a top level star in this company. He just needs the mic skills. Hopefully, Arnie Anderson can help get him to that next level, as he truly is a great talent, and truly one of the underrated talents on that roster. Then we have Jamie Hayter versus Tony Storm for the AEW Women's Championship. Now, before I go into this match, Jamie Hayter was working this match literally hard. So there was a lot of smoke and mirrors and a lot of shenanigans in this match. So it's really, I think, kind of hard to really judge this match, given the fact. Because Hater versus Storm the first time around was a great match. It was the time when Jamie Hater won the AEW title. Those two could have a great match. But this was not a great match. And a lot of it had to do with the fact that Jamie Hater is injured. The match started off with a pre-match attack as Ruby Soho, Soraya, and Tony Storm attacked her. In fact, Ruby Soho and Soraya attacked her at the entrance away. Because she didn't come out the first time around. The second time she came out, there was a beatdown going on as Ruby Soho and Soraya were beating Jamie Hayter down. As Tony Storm was waiting for her in the ring. The three would attack her eventually at ringside. Storm would hit a drop kick onto the injured arm of Hater on the steel steps. Britt Baker would come out to continue her attack on Soraya. While that's going on, Ruby Soho took one of the turnbuckles off and the rough and Soho collided. Hater tried for a pin attempt for a two count. Soho Proceeded to take another turnbuckle pad off. But Hater would go to Soho and she would use the spray paint. Which allowed Storm to pin Hater for a two count. 
Hukara Shida would come to ringside to attack Ruby Soho. Jamie Hayter would throw Tony Storm into the exposed trim buckle into the Hater raid, but she couldn't cover right away due to the injured arm in which she uses for her finisher. The finisher came when Hater went for a second Hater raid, but Storm pushed Hater into the exposed turnbuckle and Storm hit Storm Zero for the victory and Tony Storm becomes the new AEW Women's Champion for a second time. This hard to judge a match like this considering the fact that Jamie Hayter was hurt and the fact that if she wasn't hurt, this would have probably be a great match. Seriously. They had a great match the first time around. And if Hater was healthy, this probably would have been a very good match. But since she wasn't healthy, they had to do all these smoke and mirrors, all these shenanigans to cover up the fact that she's injured. Literally. I hope she gets well, seriously, because she's great. She's one of the best women on their roster. And the AEW roster has some very good female talent there. Like her, Sheeta, Britt Baker, Tony Storm, Ruby Soho. It's a very good division. It sucks that Jamie Hayter has to take time off because she's injured legitimately. Literally. And it really hurt the quality of this match. Which I don't fault anyone for the way this match was booked. Because they had to work around the injury. I hope Jamie Hayter gets well soon. And hopefully she gets well for All In. Because that probably would be a perfect time to do Tony Storm versus Jamie Hayter again. Seriously. That would be a great match at All In. Now, when I come back, I will get to the rest of Double or Nothing, including quite possibly two of the best matches you will see all year. Every day, there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness. There's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment. And there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer. And they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scaresack Care is a 100% volunteer organization and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scaresack Care, you can go to www.scaresackcare.org. Every donation helps Scaresack Care fight real monsters. Hi, I'm Anthony T. And I'm director Andrew Duran, and we are the Two From Hell. And we're putting Rated R back into podcasting. Every month we will be dropping an episode on the Doc Discussions Network. 
we'll be chatting about some of our favorite films, news, reviews, and maybe interviews. You can find Two From Hell on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and other podcast providers. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at Two From Hell Podcast. Trust me. You're seriously not going to want to miss the show. Welcome back. Moving on. We're still on my thoughts on AEW's Double or Nothing 2023. The next match was the House of Black Open Challenge for the AEW Trios Championship. Now, before we get into the match, I notice people who don't like the lighting... Don't like the way the House of Black matches lately have been dark, have been like pitch black almost. But I think it's just such a cool aesthetic for the group and for their matches. It separates the trio from everyone else in AEW. It gives the trio its uniqueness. It makes the trio one of the best trios in that promotion, quite frankly. The fact that they have a separate presentation from everyone else makes the House of Black one of the must-watch acts in this promotion. Now, who would answer their open challenge, you may say? It would be none other than the acclaimed and Billy Gunn. You didn't think we would have an AEW pay-per-view without the acclaimed. Come on, they're one of the most over-acts in this company. Of course, they needed to get on double or nothing one way or the other. Because the acclaimed should be on every pay-per-view, quite frankly. They're just that over with the crowd. Every time they come out, they are over like gold. So, of course, they're going to be on this pay-per-view one way or the other. And for each of the House of Black's title defenses, the teams get to choose a stipulation. The Acclaim decided they didn't want to choose a stipulation in this match. It would have helped if they had chose a stipulation. It would be nice. But that's another point. Because I like this match a lot. Seriously. I know people might not get this gimmick down, but the House of Black lately have been gold on AEW TV. Seriously. This was a really good match. I loved the fact that this match moved at a fast pace as this had a mixture of fast-paced wrestling and submission-based wrestling. There's also very good psychology in this match as well. I liked how they focus on the psychological aspects of wrestling in this match. Because for most of this match, the House of Black was focusing on Anthony Bowen's knee. And that works. Because they kept focusing on the same knee every time Bowen's tried to make a tag out. He couldn't. They also kept knocking his tag partners off the ring apron which is effective tag team wrestling. As Bowens had to have spent the majority of this match in the ring. He finally got to tag out Billy Gunn, who came in for the hot tag. He nailed 
the Famouser on Brody King. He nailed the Famouser on Buddy Matthews. Then he walks right into a black mass from Malachi Black for the three count. And the House of Black retain the AEW Trios titles. Obviously, that's the right decision. They need a long reign here. This reign has to continue probably until at least all out. I would like to see this reign continue as long as possible. I like these stipulation type matches where these trios have to play under their rules in order to win the titles. It's different and it again separates the House of Black from everyone else in AEW because of its uniqueness. Then we got the AEW TBS Championship. Jade Coghill versus Tyre Valkyrie. This was probably Jade Coghill's best match that she's had so far with AEW. As this was a very good match. As both Tyre Valkyrie and Jade Coghill worked very well with each other. The story of the match was both Jade Coghill and Tyre Valkyrie both have the same finisher. And Tyre could use her road to Valhalla for this match. As in previous matches, she was barred from using that move due to the fact that Jade Coghill had that move. Both of them had specialized entrances, which was both unique and made the match feel like a big time match. The action moved at a very good pace. At one point, Valkyrie would hit a sliding German suplex, which was something I am not seen. But hey, that's a cool maneuver. They both worked well together. As like I said before, this was Jade Coghill's best match with this promotion so far. And it probably helped that she was working with an experienced Tyre Valkyrie here. Tyre would hit the road to Valhalla for a two count. Then Jade would hit a pump kick to the jaw. Then hit her jaded finisher for a three count and retained the TBS title in what is her best match so far in her young career. Jade Coghill has come a long way since she started with this promotion. She could be a top-tier talent. Then post-match, Smart Mark Sterling, yes, the lawyer, issues another open challenge. The thing is, after Jade Coghill's matches, lately he's been issuing open challenges after Jade Coghill wins. He issued the open challenge the entire locker room, but he thought nobody would answer the open challenge. Wrong. In a big way. As none other than the returning Chris Statlander came out to answer the open challenge. The match starts and Jade Coghill tries to go for a pump kick to no avail. Chris Statlander quickly attacks Jade Coghill, but Jade would hit the pump kick eventually and try to go for Jaded, but Statlander would counter that into the Big Bang Theory, and Chris Statlander is the new TBS champion in a surprising turn of events, as I really didn't think we would get a title change here, seriously. 
I thought we would see Jake Coghill continue this big run, but it's over at 60-1. and one. Then it was time for the double main event. First up was the AEW World Heavyweight title between MJF, Dobby Allen, Jungle Boy, and Sammy Guevara. Now, before I get into this match, I would like to say something here. Why was this not the main event of this event? Because I'm a firm believer the world title should be the main event. No questions, ifs, ands, or buts. It would have been nice to get these four young stars some experience in the main event. But no, we do not get it here. Instead, they chose to go with the Elite versus the Blackpool Combat Club. The match starts off with all three men attacking MJF until it broke down between the three men. It moved at a very fast pace with a lot of high flying moves and kicks. There's some nice spots in the match where each of the four participants channeled their mentors by hitting their finishers. That was a cool spot to see in this match. MJF would get on the mic at one point and beg Sammy to lie down for his newborn baby, which he announced prior to the match. But Sammy suckered him in into a two-count after that, there was a great sequence of submission wrestling here, where everyone was in a submission hold, literally. That was such a cool spot, as I don't think I've ever seen that spot and the way it was done in a fatal four-way, like the way those four men did it in this match. Then there was a sequence where everything was so hard to keep up with, as the action really gave... New meaning to the words fast and furious. As everybody was hitting high flying moves, Guevara would hit a Spanish fly onto the floor, wiping everyone out. MJF would knock the top rope, causing Dobby Allen to lose his balance. MJF then himself would go for a power bomb, which would end up hurting MJF as he was clutching his arm. Maybe injuring himself in the process. I hope that's not the case. Seriously. I really don't want to see anybody get hurt. I don't think AEW can afford to lose MJF. As he's the top heel in this company. And he makes the main event seem very interesting. Then we would have a couple near falls in the match. Dobby Allen would eventually hit a coffin drop. And a side headlock takedown. For a pin attempt, but Jungle Boy broke up the pin. Both Jungle Boy and Dobby Allen traded shots. MJF grabs the belt, but Jungle Boy blocks it. Jungle Boy gets the belt, teases hitting Dobby Allen with it, but doesn't. Sammy would hit the GTH on Jungle Boy, and he would go to the top rope, but Allen would throw him off, which would leave Allen. To hit a coffin drop on Jungle Boy. MJF gets into the ring. Nails Dobby Allen with a side headlock takedown. For the three count. And MJF retains the AEW World Heavyweight title. In a great match. Seriously. This match here highlighted 
the future of all elite wrestling. As all four men in this match were excellent. A lot of high-flying moves, a lot of great submission wrestling. This was a great fatal four-way match. Probably one of the best ones I've ever seen, literally. As this was intense and fast-paced from start to finish. And this really should have main-evented the show. Seriously. I wanted this to main-event the show. So that it would allow this company to showcase its young talent. But still, this was a great match. And it's definitely worth checking out. Along with the main event here. Seriously, the last two matches on this card were excellent. It's like, can you top this? Literally. The main event was the Anarchy in the Arena match between the Elite versus the Blackpool Combat Club. This was a crazy match that went all over the place. Even I had a hard time trying to figure out what was going on at times. Seriously. It was so chaotic. The match starts out in the crowd as the Violent Idols plays Wild Thing. It gave it its bar fight feel to it and this would go on and on and on this band could literally have played all night long in fact this band might still be playing as we speak ladies and gentlemen Don Callis would show up on commentary during this match in the midst of the chaos in the beginning Rick Knox gets busted open so we have a referee busted open we don't know how the Blackpool Combat Club would gang up on Hangman Adam Page at one point, but eventually would get out of it. The Young Bucks, along with Claudio Castanoli and Wheeler Yuta, would fight onto the stage where the band was playing. The Bucks would throw both Claudio and Yuta off the stage. Then they approached the band. The band's lead singer would reveal a Blackpool Combat Club shirt and for his troubles, would get super kicked, ending the music. Yes, it took the Young Bucks super kicking the band's lead singer to end the music. Because this band could have played all night long, literally. At one point, we had Moxley and Omega fighting, and there was a poker chip wrapped in bobbed wire, which Moxley used on Omega. Claudia would hit a giant swing on Matt Jackson, in the concourse area. Then later Claudio during the match. Would take Matt Jackson outside. And pile drive him on a pickup truck. There was also a leaf blower around used during the match. That's nice. Moxley and Yuta would get Nick Jackson in a submission. When Matt Jackson came back from being pile driven on a pickup truck. And proceed to nail an exploding super kick onto John Moxley. That's right, we had some fireworks, ladies and gentlemen. I bet nobody had exploding super kick on their wrestling bingo card for 2023. Because yes, that did happen in 2023, everyone. Mox would get angry later in the match, getting that shoe off of Matt Jackson and slamming that foot into thumbtacks. 
So Matt Jackson eventually paid the price for the exploding superkick with thumbtacks to his foot. Brian Danielson at one point would deliver psycho knees to both Kenny Omega and Adam Page. The Blackpool Combat Club would load thumbtacks into Matt Jackson's mouth and Claudio would hit a European uppercut with the thumbtacks in Matt Jackson's mouth in what was a disturbing sight. Seriously. As this match would definitely please the Deathmatch fan. Adam Page would hit the Dead Eye and Kenny Omega would hit the One Winged Angel on one of the members of the Blackpool Combat Club for a two count. I don't know which one because this match is getting so crazy to the point where you, I literally lost control of what was happening, literally. And in a fun way, not in like a confusing way, but I was into everything in this match that there were some spots that I probably missed because this match was filled with insane spots. The finish would come when Adam Page would try the buckshot lariat only for Don Callis to hand Yuta a screwdriver to break up that move. Omega would try to hit the one-wing angel, but Callis would enter the ring, causing Omega to drop Yuta. While distracted with Callis, a masked man entered the ring and attacked Omega. He revealed himself to be Takeshka, so he's turned on Kenny Omega and aligned himself with Don Callis. Yuta would hit Omega with the screwdriver, then hits his seat buckle clutch pin for the win. The post-match, Don Callis chokes Kenny Omega with a belt, with the Blackpool Combat Club in the ring celebrating. This was just an insane match from start to finish. This feud is continuing. As you're probably going to get one or two more people in this feud. Or maybe three more people in this feud. This is what I can think could happen. Kota Ibushi could be entering this company soon. And he may be in this feud as quickly as he enters this company. As eventually the Elite is going to need a fifth person. And Kota Ibushi has a long history of Kenny Omega in Japan. So that's probably going to happen. As there's been a lot of rumors that Ibushi is going to sign with AEW. And that would be a great signing for AEW, quite frankly. And it would make sense for him to be in this feud because he's a close friend of Kenny Omega's. Probably his most trusted friend from all the battles in Japan. So it would make sense for him to be in this feud. If Ibushi does not come into this company, you have Okada. He's already earmarked. With a match against Brian Danielson at Forbidden Door 2. As at the end of the six-man tag between him, Tanahashi, Ishii versus the BCC and Shota Uno. At New Japan Pro Wrestling's Dominion event that took place recently. Brian Danielson came up on the video screen challenging Okada to a match at Forbidden Door 2. Which is going to happen. So Okada is now neck deep in the BCC feud. On the New Japan side. So maybe we see more of Okada in AEW. Regarding his feud with John Moxley in the BCC. If Ibushi doesn't come to AEW. 
And it could be some wild cards as well. But I got a feeling it's going to be Abushi. That is the fifth man. But still, you got Okada in this feud too. So it's going to be either Abushi or Okada as that fifth person. And they're probably going to do a blood and guts match eventually. As this is where this feud is really heading towards. I can't see anywhere else but a blood and guts match. With the BCC and Takeshka on one side and the Elite and Abushi or Okada on the other side. Because that's what it's leading down to, folks. It's going to end in blood and guts. Seriously. And that's probably going to be a great match. So it's going to be either Kota Abushi or Okada coming into this feud being the fifth man for the Elite. I think it's going to be Abushi. Because he's going to eventually sign with AEW anyway. If rumors are true. And there could be more people added to this too. Then we may add more people. It'll get more chaotic. That could happen too. Because right now Moxley's in a feud with Okada in New Japan. So don't count out Okada neither. But I think Kota Ibushi's the fifth person. But I would not be surprised if Okada's the fifth person either. Overall, I thought this pay-per-view was good. It had a couple of really sluggish finishes. The Adam Cole-Chris Jericho match I thought was sluggish. And the fact that I didn't, don't like stoppages. I hate matches that end in stoppages. I thought the Jamie Hayter-Tony Storm match could have been off the pay-per-view. They could have had an interim title match. Or had the title change on Dynamite. I really think they could have cut that out in the pay-per-view. What else? I thought the main events were excellent. And literally the best matches on this show. I thought the Christian Wardlow match was underrated too. As it was a good ladder match. Overall I would probably give this 8 out of 10. I can't say it's 10 out of 10. It's not the greatest AEW pay-per-view of all time, but there's a lot of good mixing with a couple of bad things. So, 8 out of 10 is my rating for AEW Double or Nothing 2023. You can find Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show on social media, on the Slasher app, Facebook and Instagram at Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling. You can find the show on Twitter at K Media. You can find the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and other major podcast providers. You can also listen to the show on YouTube at youtube.com slash Media and drdiscussions.com. And don't forget to join the official Facebook group of Anthony Peace Horror and Wrestling Show. On Facebook, type the name of the show in the group search box. What's Anthony T watching this episode? Well, Anthony T is watching a film starring Nicolas Cage. That's right, Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage in his latest film, Renfield. And no, Nicolas Cage is not playing Renfield here. Nicolas Cage is playing Dracula. (laughs) Yes, 
I never thought I would see the day that Nicolas Cage would play Dracula. But we are here, folks. And I was looking forward to this film for a long time ever since hearing about this film. Literally, because it's Nicolas Cage playing Dracula. Plus, it's Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. That was like the main selling point of Renfield, people. The fact that Nicolas Cage is being Nicolas Cage in this film. Literally. Seriously. The same neurotic performance that he gives every time, and I love it every time. Literally. So, I was excited when this film was announced. I missed it when it came in theaters. Literally. But then again, it was released at the same time as Scream 6 and The Pope's Exorcist. So, there was a reason why this film gained no traction at the box office. Plus, the fact that it's more of a comedic take on the Dracula tale. So, that probably turned some people off. But I have to say, this was a very good film. I love this film a lot. And it's not because it's Nicolas Cage being Nicolas Cage. The fact that this film really does a great job with balancing the gory action and the comedy here. Director Chris McKay does a really good job making sure that the action has this gory feel to it. Like in the vein of Evil Dead 2, where the comedy and the horror worked perfectly. The comedy and horror in this film does work perfectly here. And it was, I think, one of the highlights of this film. The fact that it had a good screenplay, too. But I'll talk about that in a second. Chris McKay's direction was very good. I like the way he does a good job with making sure he gets the performances that he needs. He makes sure that the scenes that are funny come off as funny on screen. He makes sure that the film has bloody action to it. He makes sure that the Dracula character is a character that is very violent. He does a very good job considering that he's more of a comedic director as he's not done a horror film. As he's mostly known for directing episodes of Robot Chicken in the Lego Batman movie. So this was pretty much his first horror film and he really does a good job with it here because he does a great job with the comedic timing and everything. And making sure those scenes come off on screen as funny and entertaining. He also really does a good job with the way he presents the action as well. I liked how he makes sure that the action has a bloody tone to it. Seriously, the gory effects could have been bad. But he and his team of special effects makeup artists do a great job making sure that the gore effects are very good. In that they have a bloody feel. It was different. I liked that. As it felt at times you were watching a superhero film on steroids. As that's why I think they made this version of Renfield look like. And that's also credit to the screenplay written by Ryan Ridley. With the screen story coming from Robert Kurtzman. You know, that little series called The Walking Dead. That Robert Kurtzman. And I like how they did a really great job with the way they came up with this take on Dracula and Renfield. As this was different from all the other takes on those two characters. Literally. Because Renfield feels like more like a superhero here. And Dracula 
is giving all these witty lines and letting Nicolas Cage be Nicolas Cage. It really made this film fun to watch. Really also does a good job with the way he adds the humor to this film as the lines felt funny. You even had one scene in the police station. There was like a backdrop on the wall, which I would consider the world's worst police department. Seriously. As on the wall, it said, don't solve the crime till overtime. It's just like lines like that really grabbed me with this film. Literally. I liked the fact that there's a lot of really good humor in this film. Ridley's very creative with the humor. As the doc humor works very well here. And he also does a really good job with the way he comes up with the action sequences on the paper. As it really had an intense feel to it. It was also a little superhero-ish too. But I don't mind it. It's a different take on Renfield. So I like it when they go outside the box here. And really, really does a very good job going outside the box with both the Renfield character and the Dracula character in this film. Because it really pays off. As this is very entertaining. And the performances in this film are very good here. Nicolas Cage as Dracula is very good here. I love the fact that he's brought that charm, that intensity, that is required in a typical Nicolas Cage performance. And he brings that to the Dracula character here, as this character is very good, even though he's the bad guy. He's just great to see on screen. I wouldn't mind seeing Nicolas Cage play Dracula again in the future. Nicholas Hoyt was also very good here as Renfield, as he really does a very good job with the way he portrays this character. How he starts off as this tormented character. Then you see him try to break away from Dracula. Finally, he does a very good job playing that type of character. Where you feel sorry for him. Even though he's a bad guy too. That wants to be good. The film also has a very good performance from Aquafina here. She's very funny in this film. She really brings a lot to her role in this film as well. As all three of those people had great chemistry with each other. Whether it was Nicholas Hoyt and Nicholas Cage. Whether it was Aquafina and Nicholas Hoyt. Whether it was Aquafina and Nicholas Cage towards the end of the film. They had very good chemistry with each other. And that's what really helped make this film very good as well. It had a good screenplay. Really good direction from Chris McKay. And really good acting from its three leads. It really made Renfield a very funny vampire comedy. As this film has a lot of bite, a lot of bloody action, a lot of funny humor. And it's a very entertaining vampire film that people missed on in theaters like myself. As I'm kicking myself for missing out on this film in theaters. As this was a funny film. More funny than Cocaine Bear. Seriously. I'll even say it. This was more funny than Cocaine Bear. And this is a film people should check out definitely. Five stars. This wraps up episode 99 of the podcast. 
Next episode is episode 100. It's amazing how I've gotten to the edge of 100 episodes on this podcast. I'm working on a guest for this podcast. I was hoping to announce a guest by now, but that hasn't happened. So I'm working on a guest. I want to do something special for this 100th episode. So... I'll be working on trying to get a guest on this podcast. So you may not get another episode for another two, three weeks, depending how long it takes me to get a guest. So keep your eyes out on social media at Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling on Facebook, Instagram, Slasher app, as I will announce the guest on the social media platforms. As I want to go kind of big with this guest because this is like the 100th episode so I want to deviate a little bit from the independent films who's to say I get someone iconic from an independent film might happen so give me a week couple weeks I will get you a guest for this podcast over on the film arcade media youtube channel I recently put up a new video up of my film in merchandise collection videos. It's been a while since I've done one of those. That's up on the official YouTube channel at youtube.com slash at film arcade media. That's up there. I'm planning on doing another video once the VS package comes in. So I haven't forgot about the VS package. As that's part of the Halfway to Black Friday. I hope to have it by the filming of that episode, but that never happened. But I will do another episode once my VS package comes in. With that, I want to thank you for listening to my podcast. Don't forget to like and subscribe to the podcast at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, and other major podcast providers. Don't forget to follow the show on social media at Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling on Facebook instagrams the slasher app we also have a facebook group too of the podcast just type in anthony t's horror and wrestling show podcast in the group section on facebook have a good day support indie wrestling and support indie horror This has been a Film IK Media production.